Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome again uh, to Encounter Church. Welcome to our Fulton Heights community and those watching online as well. Uh, it's a new year here at Encounter. It's a new year in your world as well. And, uh, and oftentimes along with that comes these, these resolutions or these, these goals or promises that we make to ourselves about how this year is going to somehow be different than last year. And sometimes those are business-related, professional benchmarks that we're hoping to get to. Uh, oftentimes they're, they're personal. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read so many books or sometimes it's a, it's a health and wellness kind of thing. What I'd like to do this morning is to put something on your radar, kind of invite you, invite you into something that I think has the capacity to change not only your year, but your life potentially more than any of those other items that you might already have on your New Year's resolution list. And, uh, and to, to show you what that is, I'd like to play kind of a little game together. We're going to be a little lighthearted about it. It's going to be kind of fun, so don't, uh, don't, don't get too nervous about it. But we're just going to do some show of hands, and everybody's invited to play along. So Fulton Heights, those watching online, Kentwood, everybody's invited to, to play along. So just by a show of hands, how many of you would believe, how many of you would say yes to the statement that prayer is powerful? That prayer is important, right? It's like so many people. Okay, you guys can go ahead and, and put your hands down. Um, prayer is incredibly important, right? And I, I'm right there. I've got my hand up. Absolutely, right? Prayer has the potential, has the capacity not just to change the world, but to change my world, to change my heart, right? Prayer is incredibly important. The next statement that I'm going to ask for is how many of you believe that, that your prayer life could use a little help this year? <laughs> That your, that your life, yeah, exactly, that our lives, prayer lives might not be exactly where we want them to be. And again, we're going to let the record reflect those watching online or listening online. It's like everybody put our hands up for not just one or two, for, for both of them, I mean. I put my hand up for both of those because I simultaneously have the capacity, right? I believe at the same time two seemingly contradictory things. That number one, that prayer is incredibly important. And I believe that that prayer is, the, is connected Connecting with the divine. It's the prayer is communicating with the creator of supernovas, of hurricanes, and the duck-billed platypus. Like, you get to talk to that guy. It's incredible, right? That prayer has the capacity not just to change the world, but to change my world. That, that prayer, connecting with God, has the power and the potential to raise the dead, to heal the sick in the name of Jesus. Prayer is that important. But at the same time, I put my hand up when I asked about prayer life not exactly being in the place that I want it to. Like, I know the power and I know the potential, but at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but I'm not there yet. And that's, and that's what we're addressing today, is that maybe our prayer life could use a little help this year. And one of the reasons why we go, I don't think my prayer life is where I want it to be, is oftentimes because our prayer life tends to be defined by these neat tidy, dainty, little, safe prayers. It's, it's these kind of prayers that we go to at the end of the day, at night, and they're like the, just a review of what we did that day. I mean, it's really, it's, it's not really a prayer at all. It's just kind of a review. And, and God, I want to say thank you for breakfast. That was great. Lunch. Thank you for dinner. Thank you for that fourth meal I probably shouldn't have had when the kids were in bed. I kind of regret that, but you know, I'm just kind of reviewing my day. So like, I got to thank you for the, for the whole thing that day. Or, or if we're doing the other thing in the morning and we're going to pray a prayer in the morning, we just kind of look at what we have coming up that day. Or at least this is what I do. And I'm like, God, you know, here's, <clears throat> here's like the things. Here's the agenda for the day. Here's the plan. So like, you know, make that go well. If you could, great. 
All right, on with it. Or we sit down and we pray things. We pray for things like hedges of protection and traveling mercies. And some of you new Christians are like, what are hedges and traveling mercy? And I don't know. Nobody really knows. These are just like things that Christians say, right? They're things that Christians say because they're safe and they're easy. And they're nice. There's there's tidy little prayers that really don't, don't mean a whole lot. So what I like to do instead of those instead of those safe prayers, we're gonna we're gonna pray some dangerous prayers together. The dangerous prayers that we're gonna pray a three part series is search me, break me, break my heart, Lord, for what breaks yours, and send me, God, wherever it is, whoever I'm supposed to talk to, whatever you want me to do, the answer is gonna be yes before I even know what the question is send me. These are not safe prayers. These are dangerous prayers. And this is going to be one of, I think, one of our most intentional series that we've done in a long time. Uh, what we're doing is, uh, is, is we're lifting some of the content uh, from this book here by Craig Rochelle. It's called Dangerous Prayers. Uh, the book isn't going to tie in super well with the series. It's more of like a, like a compliment, so I want to kind of like put that on your radar. But I think even better than that, uh, on the QR code in the back of your seat, you can scan it and it'll take you to the Bible app reading plan of Dangerous Prayers. It's seven days long. I've made mine public so we can like do this whole thing together. You can, you can join me as we kind of work through this Bible, this devotional reading plan together. What we also did, and I did it earlier this week so I have a little head start on it, we made a wallpaper for your phone because you look at this thing like a hundred million times anyway. And so on the phone, it just says, search me, break me, send me. And so every time I looked at my phone, I was reminded this week to pray these prayers. Search me, break me, send me. And I gotta tell you, it's convicting. So you can look on social media afterwards. It's gonna be in the weekly. Put that on your phone lock screen and I'm telling you, it's just gonna bring you back to this place. Oftentimes, just again and again, search me, break me, send me. They're dangerous prayers. But listen to me, listen. It is okay to opt out of this, all right? Sometimes we do these series together and, and, and we try to plan them out so that it moves everybody towards the heart of God intentionally. And sometimes we do these series and honestly, whether it's a one-off installment, one-off message or an entire series and it just doesn't land, it just doesn't click because you're not in the place that you need to hear it. And I'm telling you, I'm giving you permission to like opt out of this one because I want this for you to be a dangerous prayer. We say oftentimes that faith is, is determined that faith is not the size of your faith that matters, but it's the object of your faith that matters. That's why Jesus said, if you've got faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move this mountain. It's not like your faith is so strong that you can like leverage God into doing something. It's the object or what, who your faith is in. When your itty bitty faith connects with God's ocean of faithfulness, watch out. And I mention all of this because I want to tell you that when you sit down and when you pray a dangerous prayer, even half-heartedly, the wholehearted God of the universe might just hear you and stir. Tread carefully. The first prayer that we're going to get into today, search me. All of these prayers, and this one included, are taken right out of Scripture, uh, right out of the Bible. 
This one comes from Psalm 139, one of the very well-known psalms. It's a psalm of David. It's a psalm of David. It was written about 3,000 years ago. One of the things that I love about this psalm is two things. First, it's written, scholars believe, at the end of his life, which means he has a lot of his life to reflect on as he prays this prayer. The second thing I want to highlight about this prayer is the number of personal pronouns that are used. And I just want you to pay attention. I, me, my, along the way. This is revolutionary 3,000 years ago. Like, like among scripture, among writings, whether you're a Christian, spiritually committed, whatever your thing is, doesn't even matter. Among writings 3,000 years ago, about God to any God at all. This is revolutionary because usually gods in those days were transcendent. They were there. They were far away. And they didn't care about humanity all that much. And if they did care about humanity, usually it wasn't good news. The Hebrew Bible, what we know as as our Old Testament, flips that on its head because what we're going to have, what we're going to see here is a God who isn't transcendent. He's imminent. He's not just there. He's here. He's remarkably close. He's right by us. He's very, very near. Let's, uh, let's see what he has to say. If you'd like to follow along, Psalm 139, kick it off in verse 23, and the words are going to be behind me. David's, David writes these words. Last two, last two verses of his Psalm 139, he says, Search me, God, and know my heart. The last two verses are an invitation for God to search him, which if you've been on this journey with Jesus for a little while, you know what, what an absurd statement that is. Like, Really, God was waiting on your permission, you know? Uh, let, let's remember, he's, he's an omnipresent God. He's an omniscient God. He's an omnipowerful God. He's, an, he's all the omnis. He's omni-omni. He's omni-squared, right? He, he's, he's got it all. He doesn't need your permission. He's not waiting on your permission to do anything. David gets that. Because even earlier on in the psalm, if you kind of scroll up the page there a little bit and you see verse 1, he starts off this whole psalm by saying, God, you searched me. You know me. You know my heart. You've done this already, God. In fact, he goes on in verse 2. He goes, you know when I sit. You know when I rise. You know my coming. You know I'm going. Where can I go to escape your presence, God? Can I go up to the heavens? You're there. Can I go down to the depths? You're there too. God, you're everywhere, and you, and you already, already know my heart. So why would David end his psalm with an invitation of what's been apparently already done? God, search me and know my heart. And one of the reasons that I think the best way to kind of explain, it comes as a line from, uh, from book release quite a while ago, and it was kind of like, Radioactive. It was a little, a little controversial at the time, so I couldn't quote it all that much, but I feel like enough time has passed, like I'm, I'm good now. It's, it's a work of fiction. It's called The Shack. Not everybody knew that it was a work of fiction, so that's where kind of the, the controversy comes in. But uh, tremendous tragedy that takes place in the, in the main character's life. Loss of a daughter, just hor- horrible circumstances. You know, and, uh, and he's wrestling with it, and he's broken, understandably broken about that. And the, and the premise of the book is the main character, Mac, who lost his daughters years ago, has the opportunity to go to this, this cabin in the woods, he, to go to this place, and it kind of represents heaven, and he has an opportunity to sit down and to talk to the Almighty, to talk to God. In one of the scenes in the book, he sits down, and he's going to have a meal with God. And it's the triune God, so God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And just kind of instinctively, out of habit, 
he folds his hands, he closes his eyes, and he starts to pray before the meal. And he goes, our father, and he kind of catches himself. And he like looks up, and they're all just staring at him <laughs> with this like goofy grin on, uh, on each one of their, their faces. And he goes, well, uh, thank you <laughs> for, the, for the meal. You know, it cha- changes the tone. And then he asks the question that we're all asking here this morning about David. If you know everything already, why in the world would you have me pray what you already know? And I'm not going to forget it. The father in the story looks at the main character, Mac, and he goes, I do. I do already know. But I take great delight into seeing it all through your eyes. And I love that line. I love that line because yesterday was my, my kid's birthday. You know, and, and there's food and presents and games and and I was there for all of it. In fact, I, I think that I know, I remember more of his life than he remembers of his life at this point. I know him. But at the end of the day, when we're like kind of cycling through the events, you know, and when he opened this, and then when we did this together, and I'm, and I'm hearing it all from him, I take great delight into seeing it all through his eyes, in, into hearing from him, even though I know what it was already. I was there. I was the omni in that circumstance. David makes this invitation. God, it honors him by seeing it all, hearing it all from the, from the eyes of David. And, and David, with this invitation, search me and know my heart. Know the thing underneath the thing. Know the motivation and the inspiration of which my words and my behavior and my belief all come out of. And what he's going to find is that God actually knows, much like the father of small children today, God actually knows David better than David knows himself. And as he's an old man now, and he's reflecting back over his life up to this point. He knows that God already knew that that seed of what happened with the woman on the rooftop bathing, Bathsheba, her name was, so long ago. God knew that those seeds were there long before David knew that those seeds were there. Long before David goes out to his patio and looks over and and sees a woman, it's a desert, it's hot, she's bathing and he can peep in her window. And it's a disgusting story, especially when we think about who he was and he makes his invitation, you know, hey, why don't you come up to the palace? And it's the king, so it's an invitation, it's really an expectation. And then what happens up there? And she leaves pregnant. And she's married. But hey, the good news is her husband is in the army. And David controls the army. So Uriah, why don't you go right up to the front lines? We'll end this thing. And nobody has to know. The seeds of that thing were planted long before the actions took place. And God knew his heart. At the end of his life, he gets down and he prays a dangerous prayer. Search me. And I just kind of wonder if the disaster of what happened there. Possibly his life's biggest regret could have been taken back, could have been undone had he prayed this prayer before it happened than after. When we talk about this has the potential to be the biggest impact on your year, even your life, more than reading a stack of books or more than a health and wellness kind of thing, this dangerous prayer, God, search me. 
take a look at what's inside of my heart. There's a potential disaster that this prayer could avert you from. But you wouldn't ever have to experience it. That kind of salvation from the consequences of what's happening, that's on, that's on the line here. I can look back in my life and I can see certain times when, when people just, the, the kindest way they put it, and, and so the kindest way that I can, I can put it for all of you, isn't just like, hey man, you got to shape up on this thing. You got to change this part about you. No, uh, kind people, mentors, taking me aside and saying, Dirk, I just wonder about this and I invite you to ask God what he thinks about this. So if you've got a little Holy Spirit nudge going on and he might be saying something you're not sure, I'm not telling you yes or no. I'm just saying, I wonder if you laid it before the feet of God, of saying, God, what do you think about this? And just hear what that answer might be. Uh, David wants to get a little bit more specific on this thing, though. He's not just inviting a search. He's also inviting a test. In the next line of verse 23, he goes, test me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Now, I don't want us to think like 21st century, like clinically diagnosed anxiety. I don't even think he's talking about the kinds of fears that's like snakes and spiders and like monsters hanging out under the bed. The kind of fears and the kind of anxieties that he is facing here is the sort of stuff that's like keeping him up at night, like the tossing and turning kind of things. Those anxious thoughts that just like plague us or they're like mosquitoes all around us and we swat and swat. We just can't get them away. We can't get the invasive thoughts away or it's the, it's the kind of the kind of anxiousness or the kind of thoughts that that just have a way of triggering us like nothing else can of just setting us off zero to a hundred sometimes some of those anxious thoughts whatever they might be for you just dialing a few numbers here some of those anxious thoughts I think they happen to us they happen to financially work related a lot just being concerned about running out of money before running out of month. <laughs> the kind of concerns that we have relationally, romantically. There's this plaguing thought of, of is, this, is this what marriage is supposed to be like? Is this what a relationship, is this health? Is this good? Do I even want to be in this? Sometimes I'm asked this, this question, how do I know that the one I'm married, how do I know that the one that I married is the one for me? Maybe he isn't, maybe she isn't. And I am telling you, that's a dangerous thought right there. That's an anxious thought right there. Because when you think, I am hitched to the wrong one, and there is a one out there that will set you free to leave your life, lead your life into incredible damage, into absolute oblivion as you search and find out who that one is for me. Or if you're not otherwise romantically, romantically engaged or, or, or married here, you're dating around, not hoping and praying not to be, not to be ultimately left alone. And so you think a bad relationship is better than no relationship at all. And, and the things that people will do to keep themselves into a bad relationship and the, com and the compromises that come along with that, it's the anxious thoughts and the actions that we take as a result of some of those. And if you're like a, like a note-taking kind of person or you're looking for a takeaway on this one, maybe it's this one. What we fear the most reveals where you trust God the least. What, what you fear the most reveals where you trust God the least. If you have a fear of failing, maybe you have a fear of succeeding. I don't know. If you're worried about your romantic life, you're worried about your financial life, worried about your kids, 
I get that. I get that because that doesn't go away. Talking to somebody one time, you know, my kids are little. And when you're little, you just, you, the kids are little. You can't win, right? You just can't. Because they're, they're either up all night, you know, and they're crying. And like, that's not a win. Everybody knows that's not a win. Or they're, or they're quiet all night and there's not a peep. And then you're up all night because you're worrying. If, are, they, are they okay? I can't go in there. It'll wake them up. Then I'll be up all night. Then they'll be up all night, right? You, remember when my kids start eating, I got the puffs. I got the, like the Cheerios going in, the, going in the mouth there. They start coughing. And I'm like, they're choking. They're going to die. I'm just worried all the time. And so I'm talking to this guy. And I'm like, you are, dude, you are so lucky. Your kids are growing. Your kids are out of the house. Man, you don't have to worry about your kids anymore. And he laughed and laughed and laughed. He's like, my kids are grown. My kids are out of the house. They're out of state. And I worry about them more now than I've ever worried about. That doesn't go away. And 13 years into this journey, I got to tell you, I, I think he might be right. You know, I don't think this thing is going away. What you worry about most, what you fear the most, it reveals where you trust God the least. If you're worried about that provision, you're worried ultimately that the provider isn't going to show up. If you're worried about your marriage, what you're doing is you're not trusting God to take care of that marriage. If you're worried about your kids, we need, we need to lay them into the, into the hands and the palms of the Almighty and say, you know what? They are and they have always been yours, and I am a steward of this good gift too. And we read First, first John, perfect love, drives, it drives out fear. So do you love God more than you're afraid of losing what you desperately do not want to lose? I pray some of these prayers and I pray, God, uh, search me, know my heart. And when he shows up, I'm not, I'm not sure I, I love finding out what's on the other line on that. I tried it out this week. Okay, I'm gonna ask other people to do it. I should take a little bit of my own medicine. Search me, God. Remarkably quick how <laughs> he shows up and answers that one. Uh, two things came to mind. I didn't know which one I should share with you. And my wife this morning, she's just like, you share them both. Just go for it. <laughs> Own it. Here we go. Uh, the first one, uh, first one is a financial thing. A, a generosity financial thing. I'm married to an extraordinarily generous person. I, it's not that I'm not. It's that I like to have, like, every dollar has a name and a job to do, and I, like, set it and forget it kind of philosophy. Like, I'm, I'm just good. And then something will come up, comes like a, and along, the, along the month or along the year, and it's like, hey, I set my aside, my amount aside, and, like, that was gone, and I'm, like, emotionally detached from that. And my wife is like, hey, this is a kingdom cause. This is a Jesus opportunity. I think we should give towards it. And I'm like, see, it's not, like, in the plan, though. Like, we made a budget, and, like, that comes from somewhere. And she's like, awesome, let's just, let's just pull it. From, let's pull it from groceries. Let's pull it from, like, our, our date fund. Let's pull it. it doesn't matter. Isn't Jesus, like, bigger than all of those things? And I'm like, I don't love that the pastor has to be the one to tell you. I think we should cool it on the Jesus stuff. You know? <laughs> it's not great. It's not a great look. <laughs> right? It's, it's, convic- it's convicting. It's convicting. The other one, uh, the other one was about sharing faith. Because uh, we do like Christmas time, you know, and it's like, hey, we made these cards. And it's like, statistics, research shows us that people want to be invited to church, want to be invited to some service, especially Christmas. So like, go out there, invite your one. And like, I got my people. I know who I'm, who I'm going to invite. I'm going to do that thing. And then God like, just put somebody in front of you. And he's like, I don't know, maybe invite them. 
And so who he put in front of me is like six months ago. I joined a gym. I've been pretty faithful in going. Just going to wait for some applause or anything, but like, no, thank you. Okay, there we, I know you noticed, so that's a, uh, <laughs> but God like, you know, he tells me, he's like, hey, listen, you people want to, want to be invited. What if like Grand Rapids is a city full of churches? What if the attendant at the gym knows that it's a city full of churches and not a single person invites them to church? I'm like, I got to invite them. I got to invite them to, to encounter, you know? And I'm like, I got my little card. I forgot my little card at home. Uh, I'll do it next time. I'll do it next time. You know, and then like life happens and maybe I, maybe I let life happen. I'm just, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And it's like, search me, God, know my heart. And what ended up taking place, what ended up happening was that like my fear over like running out of money at the end of the month or running out of whatever I want because of the act of generosity that my wife is now putting on my plate. I'm worried. My fear over not having enough of what I want is greater than my love of God in that moment. You see how that happens. My fear over, I don't know, being rejected or over a potential awkward, uh, awkward interaction. I don't know. My fear is, is greater than, than my love of God and what God might do in that person's heart. And I'm looking back and I'm going, no, perfect love though drives out fear. It's not that I need to, need to get over the rejection of people and live for the approval of one. I've, I've tried. It's tried. I've got to allow myself to love God more because that perfect love is going to be greater than everything else. This, this is the lesson out of the playbook of David's life. This is what we see as one of the things I think he's thinking of when, he, when he's talking about some of these anxieties. He's a, there's a story. He's gone rebellion after rebellion. One of them was his own kid, Absalom. There's a rebellion against him. Tries to steal the kingdom out from under him. Could you imagine? And David has to end a rebellion led by his son. It sticks with a person. And so at the end of his life, one of the, one of the stories recounted, 2 Samuel 24, one of the stories that's, that's accounted is David adding up the amount of people, the amount of soldiers in his armies. And you're going, that's fine, you know? We add stuff up around here all the time. Some of you are professional adding up people for a living. You're accountants. It's not the adding that's the issue. God assured him victory. And then when somebody calls, comes around and says, hey man, I know what you were doing. It wasn't just a numbers thing for you. It was a heart thing. God assured you victory. And you counting up all the soldiers and counting up all their soldiers, what you are essentially doing is not just being a good leader or a good steward or a good planner. What you are doing is saying, I want to make sure that I can win this thing even if God chooses not to show up on my behalf. And when that is pointed out to him, he says in 2 Samuel 24, he says this, David was conscious stricken after he counted the fighting men. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. God convicts him, not for counting, but for not trusting. What you fear the most reveals where you trust God the least. And perfect love is the antidote perfect love drives out that fear. He ends it with this line in verse 24. He goes, see, God, search my heart, know my anxious thought. See if there's any offensive way in me. There is. There is. That's not a David thing. That's an all of us thing. We've all fallen short. We've all sinned. When we invite God in, when we pray dangerously, search me. See if there's an offensive way in me. There is. But the thing for David 
And the thing for me, and I suspect the thing for you, is we don't know what that offensive thing is until he shows us. You know, because it's so hard to see in myself and so easy to see in others. Because we accuse others, but we excuse ourselves. It's not a problem. It's not a very big problem. It's a very small problem, minimizing. It's not a problem at all, denying. It's not my problem. It's their problem. We blame. We minimize. We deny. We blame things. We shift it to anyone else. We accuse others to excuse ourselves. It's so remarkably hard to see in us because Jeremiah tells us the heart is deceitful above all things. And so the first ones that we deceive is ourselves. See if there's an offensive way in me. Oh, no, no, no. It's not a pride thing. I just happen to actually be better than everybody else around me, right? Oh, God, God I, I know what you're going to tell me. You're going to tell me. It's like a materialistic thing, right? It's like, it's like, you know, maybe I'm shopping too much. Maybe I'm doing, no, no, no. It's not, that, it's not a materialistic thing, God. It's a, it's a enough hangers thing. I'm running out of hangers. I need a bigger closet. I need a bigger house for the bigger closet. Like that's, I need to start shopping for a new house. That's what I need to do, God. It's not a materialistic thing. It's a, it's a hangers problem, right? And we kind of go through this. It's not a gossip thing. I just, I'm zealous about everybody praying with like deep specificity about the, the, the things in other people's lives and making sure to like get that word out there. When we sit down, we pray a dangerous prayer. Search me. See if there's an offensive way. The answer is yes. We just don't know quite what it is yet. We start worrying about like, am I... Is he going to tell me I'm wasting too much time? Wasting too much time on, on my phone? Wasting too much time on my, on my controller? On my, on my gaming? I'm not, I'm not wasting too much time. Have you seen what's happening in NFL and college football these days? It's not a waste of time. My team needs me. They can't, they can't go to the Rose Bowl without me. They can't go to the national championship. I'm down some numbers. I'm stepping on some toes here. All right? This might be the Holy Spirit talking to you, not just me. I don't know. Right? You got to figure, if your phone rings, you pick it up. That's on you. Search me, see if there's an offensive way inside of me. Am, am I not a good friend? I'm not a good, I'm a fine friend. I'm just a little forgetful at times. I'm a committed Christian. I just have a difficult time finding the, the right schedule so I can actually develop a relationship with God. I'm a different person in each different circle that I find myself in. I'm having a really hard time to living for an audience of just one, living for the approval of just one. It's not an answer of if he's going to find an offensive way. It's which one is he going to highlight first? He's going to answer. And David wraps it up and he says these powerful words. He says, and lead me, God. I need you, God. Lead me in the way everlasting. You know, one of the most powerful lines in scripture is mentioned not once, but twice, Old and New Testament, just to make sure all the, all the bases are covered. That God tells us, different authors tell us, that David was a man after God's own heart. And I submit to you, after what we know about David, uh, not trusting God and, and doing the accounting for himself, the entire Bathsheba cheating, murdering incident, what we know about David was not that he was a good man. What we know about David is that he was a forgiven man. What we know about David is that when he searched 
for that offensive way and God showed him what that was. It didn't drive him into a deep hole, a profound hole of his shame because he knew even before it was said to him, deep down, he knew probably because of the Spirit of God, he knew that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world and to keep on heaping blame on him, but to set him free to save the world and to save him. Now what makes David a man after God's own heart isn't because he was a good man, it was a forgiven man. Isn't because God comes into this world to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. We take these convictions of ours. Yes, there's an offensive way. Yes, there is sin in my heart. And every single time, it drives us to the foot of the cross and says, Jesus, that's what I need you for. And so much more that I don't even know. And you think about the power in your life that even the sin in your life drives you deeper into the love of God than you ever thought possible. That is not just good news. It's the best news. It's powerful news today. It's everything. The gospel and Christ. So here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I want to invite you to do. Pray dangerously. I'm going to start it out this morning. Search me. We're going to end our time. I'm going to pray. We're going to end our time together with like 60 seconds of instrumental before we end the last song. 60 seconds. And you're invited. If you feel so led, you can opt out. But if you feel so led to pray dangerously, search me. Know my heart. See if there's any offensive way inside of me. And then lead me to the way everlasting. I want to invite you to stand up, all of our locations, watching online as well. I want to invite you to close your eyes where you are. And let's, uh, let's do something a little unique today with your heads bowed and your, and your eyes closed, knowing that you can opt out of this church, but I just want to invite you to have a show of hands. We know that prayer is powerful. We know that our prayer lives could use a little work. But how many of us are ready to commit today? I'm going to pray a dangerous prayer every single day for the next three weeks. Search me, break me, send me. I want to invite you right now, with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, just to raise your hand. I'm committing to praying that prayer. All of our locations, yes, Kenwood, keep them up, keep them up. And just think about the Spirit of God who's going to equip you to do this powerful act in your life, Fulton Heights, watching online. Every single one of us experiencing this, opting out or opting in. Amen. Jesus, we pray in your risen name and in your profound power, Lord. We pray for help. And we pray for conviction. Because you see the anxieties in our heart. You see where we trust you the least. We, we see where we need your perfect love to eclipse out every single fear. God, and you know the offensive ways inside of each one of us. And during this next minute or so when we pray to you, show us. And when we don't like what we see, may we not be covered in shame, but driven deeper into your grace than we ever thought possible. Jesus, in your risen name, we pray. Amen.